Acts chapter 8. Stephen concluded his prayer well. I will walk with a perfect heart within my house. I'll behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. I hope that is our prayer and desire. Brethren, I want to quickly cover Acts chapter 8 tonight. Quickly doesn't mean that there isn't things in this chapter to excite and encourage and provoke our hearts. I want to put a context around Acts chapter 8, and it's the verse I've already read, and let me say it again. And I also say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and he didn't mean Peter, he meant the the statement that he was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Keep those words in mind. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. When Jesus says, I will, it will be done. It's stronger than any law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be altered. If Jesus says, I will, it's going to be done. And he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Acts chapter 6, last Sunday we saw the election, ordination, and appointment of seven deacons. And then we were introduced to one of those deacons, and were two chapters of the Word of God tell us about the man Stephen. The rest of Acts chapter 6, and then in Acts chapter 7, we have that sermon of his defending himself before the council of the Jews. But now, brethren, we're going to meet another one tonight. In Acts chapter 8, what deacons that church had. Wait till you see this deacon. But Stephen was quite a man. We left chapter 7 with him being stoned last Sunday evening, calling upon God and asking the Lord Jesus to receive his spirit and forgiving those men that were stoning him. Would to God that we all could have that kind of an attitude and to love our enemies and to pray for them that despitefully use us. But Stephen did and we should. Let's now come to Acts chapter 8, and I'd like to read the first three verses. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Saul was introduced to us in the last part of Acts chapter 7. He was the young man at which all those Jews that threw the stones at Stephen laid their coats. You wouldn't want any binding garment on your body when you're going to be hurling large stones at a man. So they left their coats at Saul's feet. And Luke wants to tell Theophilus, which means the Holy Ghost wants to tell us, Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was so animated against Jesus Christ and the New Testament church that he was consenting to see the man Stephen die in spite of the miracles, the mighty signs and wonders, the face of an angel, the fantastic sermon of chapter 7, and seeing Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God, 
and praying forgiveness for those that were throwing the stones. Saul did not see any of that. He thought within himself that he verily ought to do many things contrary to Jesus of Nazareth. But that's next time. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to meet Saul. When Jesus Christ goes to meet a man, there's no resisting him. When he says, I will have Saul of Tarsus to be my greatest apostle, guess what? Saul of Tarsus is going to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do as soon as they meet? That is a great, that's a miracle of grace. But there's more miracles right here in Acts chapter 8 for us tonight. And at that time, when they stoned Stephen, they made a choice. This religion is getting out of hand. There were 3,000 on Pentecost, 5,000 just shortly later of men, and it's been multiplied greatly, and these men are not afraid. Our warnings have not done any good. So a great persecution arose, and they stoned Stephen, and now we have Saul and other men like him wrecking havoc, going into houses, entering into every house, and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Brethren, we live in a great nation of freedom for which we should be very thankful. These early Christians were greatly persecuted, and especially right here at this point in the book of Acts. A great persecution arose. That's what we're told in that first verse. Against the church, which was at Jerusalem. When they couldn't win with verbal warnings against preaching in that name, they decided to persecute those Christians to see if they could stop the growth of this sect of the Nazarenes, as they called it, of those that were following Jesus of Nazareth. But now I want you to notice something here in these three verses. It says that they were all scattered abroad in the last part of verse 1, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, those are the two great regions surrounding Jerusalem, except the apostles. That means that many were scattered abroad, but the apostles stayed there at Jerusalem. Jesus had told them, stay here until you be endued with power from on high. Now, they'd been endued with power from on high, but they were still awaiting their Lord's commands before they went elsewhere, because we're told they stayed in Jerusalem. We're going to see Peter and John in just a few minutes coming from that city. But it says that the rest of them were scattered abroad. Now, I want to point out something to you about that. And then we move now to verse 4, where we have it stated again. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. These ones that were scattered out of Jerusalem were primarily teachers. There were more teachers than it meets the eye in reading Acts. We are told in Luke, where Luke had already written to Theophilus, that Jesus had ordained 70 others and commissioned them very similarly to the twelve apostles. And he had told them, listen to these words, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is perfect. He's glorious. Every word he's ever said came true completely. Do you know what he told them? When they persecute you in this city, flee to the next city. Now, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and the gates of hell. The gates of hell said, if we persecute these Christians, we can destroy their testimony, they'll all become afraid, and they'll vacate this religion and church, 
and they'll come back to our religion of the Jews. But they didn't know the words of Jesus Christ that were, when they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. So when this this great persecution arose, these teachers blew out of Jerusalem because they knew that Jesus was telling them, it's time to evangelize. And so they went everywhere preaching the word. Now, brethren, this wasn't everyone. We didn't, you know, were there lots of widows in this church? All the widows did not go preaching everywhere. There was still a church in Jerusalem. You never stop reading about a large church in Jerusalem. This was primarily those teachers that were told about in the Gospels, and primarily the 70 that had already been ordained by Jesus Christ. Because as soon as the persecution arose, they realized it's time for us to spread out and preach the word. And they did. So, the gates of hell said, we'll destroy their faith with fear and persecution. But Jesus had already answered that. Head out into the surrounding cities and preach the gospel. And they went everywhere and did that. This was no natural fear of the persecution. Them being scattered was not because they were afraid of being put in prison. Not these saints. These were spirit-filled saints full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. They were obeying their master, the Lord Jesus Christ, in going to these other places and preaching. And here we have an example of one of these men who was full of the Holy Ghost. Remember over in Acts chapter 6, where we had seven deacons ordained, one of them was named Philip. And here we have him again. And so it tells us in verse 5, Then Philip, then, with this great persecution which told them to all spread out and spread the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. This is a, this is a revival. This is a God sent evangelism. And the Lord Jesus Christ orchestrated the whole thing. He prepared the city. He brought about the persecution. He had told the teachers what to do when the persecution came. He coordinated the whole thing because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He did commission his teachers on the words, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And these Samaritans, these mongrels, They were half Assyrian, half Jew, half pagan, half Jewish. They're mongrels in the word of God. And that's another, that's another rabbit trail I've taught you before. The gospel went to them and the city was full of joy. The people believed with one accord. And it was a deacon. His name was Philip, but he was full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Just like that church in Acts chapter six had been told to look out seven men that were full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now, Philip's gonna ha- Philip has quite a bit of work going on here in Samaria, and he's baptizing converts left and right. And someone will come along and say, See, even deacons can baptize. See? Let's read Acts 21.8. Philip had two job titles. He was a deacon in the church at Jerusalem that waited on the tables of all those widows, But when that great persecution arose, 
this man full of the Holy Ghost was recommissioned. Acts 21 and verse 8, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, so that we don't get mixed up thinking there's two Philips. He was one of the seven, and abode with him the same man had four daughters virgins, which did prophesy. But there he is in Caesarea, and I believe the last verse of this chapter, in fact, the last word of this chapter, is going to tell you that that's exactly where Philip ended up, in Caesarea, and he was an evangelist. What's an evangelist? A man who preaches the gospel to those that have never heard. And I wish that all evangelists today could preach the gospel like Philip did. Because as we're going to see when he finishes baptizing, if that man's converted enough and it's sufficient to go on his way rejoicing, he would just appear in another place and keep right on preaching. But the evangelists today don't do that. They take advantage of other men's flocks and pulpits. As I've explained to you in the past, and hopefully you all know, there is no job title as that called today evangelist that those men engage in. Philip was an evangelist. If an evangelist wants to go and preach the gospel to those that have never heard, let him go. But instead, they always go to those that have heard the most. It's amazing how men want to turn the Bible upside down. But Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ. What did he preach? He preached that Jesus is the Messiah. They, they knew about the Jews' religion. Remember when Jesus met the woman of Samaria? She knew. Art thou the Messiah? She knew about the Messiah. She knew about the Christ. And so Philip was able to preach, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He's a coming judge and he's Lord of heaven and earth. And God has raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. And so Philip preached the same message that Peter preached on Pentecost that Jesus was Christ. And he did miracles so that all the people gave heed to him. And with one accord, they gave heed to him because he cast out devils and he healed those that were sick. And there was great joy in that city. What a wonderful testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth on the message that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice what Philip preached. He preached Christ. What does it mean to preach Christ? Well, look at the rest of Acts of men filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus is the Son of God. And and I'll tell you that that's one of the key messages of Philip because we're going to have to look at it before we get out of the chapter. That Jesus is the Son of God. That's how he preached Christ. He's going to preach Christ to a eunuch in just a few minutes. And that's the foundation of the church. And so the church was being built by Philip preaching that same gospel And the gates of hell could not prevail against it. He went right into a foreign city, and the whole city gave, with one heed, gave heed unto him, and there was great joy in that place. But there was a certain man, verse 9, called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. 
Let's talk about Simon here for just a minute. We call him Simon the Sorcerer. We call him Simon Magus because he was a magician. He used sorcery. Sorcery is the use of magic or enchantment, the practice of magic arts or witchcraft. To bewitch someone is to use enchantments or witchcraft or magic to have power over them or to injure them. Now, this isn't the first man in the Bible that we're told about had a power to do that. Who were the first men in the Bible that had enchantments and were called magicians and could bewitch? Pharaoh's court. Turn in your Bibles just briefly to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. I'm so excited about those words. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This city was under the dominion of a man from hell. He was operating with the power of Satan, and Philip, a deacon, walks right into town and steals the whole city. Brethren, get excited. If you don't get excited about that, you've got a problem. Jesus of Nazareth is king. It is not Satan. God has exalted a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be king over heaven and earth. And when he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Wow, what a commission. And they went and did it. And here's Philip doing it. A whole city he steals from this man. The gates of hell could not prevail. They couldn't prevail with Moses either. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 7. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Exodus 7, 11. Exodus 7, 11. In verse 10, Moses, Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. These men had the power of the devil to cast down their rods and turn them into serpents to imitate the work of God. But I want to tell you something, brethren. My God only gave them that power. He gave them that power for a short space of time. He allowed Satan to do that in imitation of his power in order to deceive and harden Pharaoh's heart. And you all are looking at me with a grin on your face because you know I forgot the last part of that. You didn't forget it. The last part of that eighth verse, Aaron's serpent swallowed up their serpents. That's the finger of God. And we should glory in that. Let the devil do what he will. The Lord Jesus Christ is greater. There's no comparison. Can you imagine poor Moses? Aaron throws his rod down and becomes a serpent. This is what Moses saw back at the burning bush. And he was thinking, yes, I do have a few tricks up my sleeve. And he gets there in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's magicians do it. You know, you'd gulp. But then Aaron's serpent just slithered over to their serpents and swallowed them all up, and it was plural. Right. And then Aaron just picked that serpent back up, and those magicians had lost a few rods. Now, Exodus chapter 7, let's look at verse 22. And the magi- this is verse 21 we've got to look at because Moses and Aaron lifted up some waters and turned it into blood in verses 20 and 21. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Verse 22, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Remember, God had said, I will harden his heart. And so he allowed his magicians to have the power of the devil, by his permission, to do miracles. And to turn water into blood. And his heart was hardened. Then we come over to chapter 8. Verse 
6. Aaron stretches out his hand and brings frogs and covers the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 7. Pharaoh's, Egypt, Pharaoh's magicians could bring up frogs also onto the land by enchantments from Satan. And then we come over to next in Exodus chapter 8 to verse 18. In verse 17, Aaron has stretched out his rod and brought forth the lice from the dust of the earth. He brought a plague of lice all over the men. Verse 18, the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But I see some interesting words. And I love these words. Amen. But they could not. Right. But they could not. Now we've got someone else taking a gulp. It's not Moses this time. It's all those magicians. They tried to use all their enchantments. They called upon Satan, the power of darkness, to bring forth lice out of the earth, and they could not. And then we read in verse 19. Amen. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Amen. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Miracle number four, dust being turned into lice. The magicians could not duplicate it. Come back to Acts chapter 8. And those magicians went to Pharaoh and said, we've got a problem here. I want to tell you something. Those magicians knew more about God than anyone in the land of Egypt. Right. And they told him, this is the finger of God. Amen. They knew the extent of their powers of darkness, and they had just been told they couldn't do that. And they knew that that man had just done it. Aaron had just done it with that rod. This is the finger of God. Praise his holy name. Amen. Don't you ever be afraid of Satan or the powers of darkness. Let's stand and be vigilant. We cannot rail against him. We cannot boast against him. But one thing we can say, that the Lord Jesus Christ has won a great victory for us, and he stands supreme at the pinnacle of the universe. Amen. Far above all principalities and powers. And now I want you to see the very same effect in Acts chapter 8 with this man, Simon. This man had controlled the entire city using sorcery and bewitching these people and giving out that himself was some great one. He used signs and wonders just like the apostles to present to the people of Samaria that he was a great one of God. So that every inhabitant of Samaria, it tells us from the least to the greatest, said of him in verse 10, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they heard the gospel, Jesus Christ came with his message, that Jesus, Philip came with the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they believed it. And in believing that message, by the grace of God, and by the work of his Spirit in regeneration, they were translated out of the kingdom of darkness, believing such lies, and in the glorious light of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The very purpose that Jesus Christ called the Apostle Paul. If you go look in Acts chapter 26, he will say that Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, I have ordained thee a minister to go to those dark nations and to turn them from darkness and the power of Satan to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And here Philip is doing it. And the people believed the things concerning Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Now, brethren, the kingdom of God what does it mean when we use the words, the kingdom of God? 
That means there is a new kingdom on earth in a different way that was now visible to these Samaritans and God was its king in the, for, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that power was his. A king has all the power in a kingdom. Remember, way back in Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, this same author writing to the same man, Theophilus, quoted Jesus Christ as saying to the Pharisees, I don't know who your sons are casting demons out with, but if I'm casting them out with the finger of God, then no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Remember, this is the finger of God. I think that's interesting, don't you? That Satan's best is mastered by, does it say the right arm of God? No, it says the finger of God. The right hand, the finger of God. If I cast them out with the finger of God, then no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God had come to Samaria. These people heard that Jesus was king, that Jesus had victory over all principalities and powers and sin because they had seen devils coming out of men and women by the word of Philip preaching the name of Jesus Christ. They knew that something great was happening, that there was a new power, there was a new king, there was a new kingdom, and they believed that gospel, that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the king, that Jesus was the savior, that there was victory over sin by what he had done. And so they believed it, and they were baptized, both men and women. What a great revival. Then Simon himself believed. Don't get excited. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. He has a fascination for the power, but he doesn't have a fascination for the man Christ Jesus. He's interested in the miracles and what good they can do to get a man position, esteem in a city, but he's not interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Philip, not being an apostle, is limited in his gifts as you're about to see. He does not have the spirit of discernment and neither does he have the power of dispensing the Holy Ghost because he was a deacon and evangelist, but he wasn't an apostle. Just follow along with me. There have been many believers, brethren, and we're going to have them come into our number and they're going to go out. They're going to come in. They're going to say they believe. I'm going to baptize them and then they're going to leave. First John 2.19 tells us that they went out from us to manifest that they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out from us to prove that they weren't part of us. In 1 Corinthians 11.19, the Apostle Paul warns that there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest. The only way you can make those that are approved manifest is that there are others that are not approved that are made manifest also. Remember that in James chapter 2, we have a long lesson that faith without works is dead. It's nothing. It's the faith of a devil. It must bring forth works and fruit, or it is the faith of a devil. When it says Simon himself believed, and when he was baptized, it is describing what he did. He professed some sort of faith, and he was baptized by Philip. But you're going to see that it was not 
a true conversion. You should be able to see that already. His interest wasn't in Jesus Christ. His interest was in this new form of magic, as he would have viewed it. Now, when the apostles, verse 14, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Can you imagine that being down there in Jerusalem as Peter and John and hearing that one of those deacons that you had ordained and then commissioned as an evangelist had gone to the city of Samaria, those mongrels that live over there in Samaria, and the city's been converted and there's great joy in the place? Wow! They would know that Jesus Christ was fulfilling all of His promises. That He was building His church and the gates of hell were not prevailing. They would have known about Simon the sorcerer if He controlled the whole city. And so they send Peter and John to Samaria. Verse 15, who, when they were come down, prayed for them. If you look at a map, they came down in altitude. Just anyway, don't worry about that. Who, when they were come down, it was altitude, not latitude, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now notice we have something in parentheses to help us understand Philip's ministry. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Philip had taken them all the way as far as he could. This was a, this was a time of reformation. Right. These ministers had different levels of gifts. Philip brought them as far as he could. He preached Christ. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached Jesus Christ as that king. And he baptized them by burial, burial in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had done all that he could but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet in the way of His gifts. Because we're about to see it, it was an external granting of the Holy Spirit that occurred at Pentecost that these men hadn't received yet. As far as His regenerating work and comforting ministry in their hearts, they had. Because you're going to see that when they laid their hands on them, it was a very visible thing that got Simon all interested. But Philip didn't have that authority. Because God is still magnifying one particular office, the apostleship. And those apostles are always being lifted up as the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ, he himself being the chief cornerstone. So while Philip was a great evangelist, here Philip had to give way to Peter and John, who could do something that he couldn't do. Right. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, fallen upon in the way of Pentecost, in the way of signs and wonders and gifts, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw, this was a visible demonstration that something had fallen on these men. Remember, when it fell in Acts chapter 2, there was something visible too. They all started talking in different languages, fluently. The marvelous works of God. They laid their hands on them. In verse 17, they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Notice it wasn't given to everyone, or it would have been given to Simon. There were some men there that, the, that Peter and John laid their hands on, and they received the Holy Ghost in outward signs, like the 120 did at Pentecost. Now this Simon the sorcerer. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. 
Who's ever heard of the sin called simony? You can look it up in a dictionary, simony, the buying and selling of spiritual gifts for money. Where do you think it found its origin? In Simon, the sorcerer who thought he could buy the gifts of the Holy Ghost with money. The word's been applied mostly to the Roman Catholic Church that has taught for 2,000 years that you can buy your way from one stage of the afterlife to another with money. Simony. They're followers of Simon the sorcerer rather than Simon Peter. I hope you like that. The Lord is good. Amen. That's all I mean by that. The Lord is good. He's when when the when Jesus said, I'll build my thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Why did he word it that way? Just so that some men would come along and think that they were building their church on a man named Peter. Right. We know what that means. We know that it's built on Jesus Christ as the Son of God. What that man had just confessed and spent the entire rest of his life preaching that Jesus was the foundation of the church and the rock upon which it was built. Simon offers them money, and he says in verse 19 to the apostles James and to Peter and John, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. He's been watching Philip, who had the ability to perform miracles. He wasn't even content with that. He's now asking these apostles to have their special gift, which even Philip didn't have, and that is of laying their hands on men and praying for the Holy Ghost to fall on them. The highest level of an apostle's gifts to dispense the Holy Ghost like their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, and he asks for that for money. Now Peter is a little, has, is a filled a little more with the Holy Ghost than was Philip. Do you understand me when I say that? The right. gift, see, God and the Lord Jesus Christ does believe in discrimination. Amen. He dispenses his gifts freely to whom he will. And he gave to the apostles extraordinary gifts. And one of them was discernment of spirits. How do you think Ananias could walk in and Peter could address him right there on the spot and ask him about the sum of money? Philip would have taken it and distributed it. That's nothing against Philip. God didn't give it to him. We don't fault a man because God didn't give him something that he gave another. We just bless God for giving it to Peter. Peter could see right through Ananias. He knew exactly the amount of money. He knew the amount of the lie. And when his wife came in, he did the same thing to her. And now he says it to Simon the sorcerer. Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. What a blasphemous, profane thought. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. You have no connection, either directly or indirectly, with the Holy Ghost, or with our work, or with our office. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. You're not regenerate. You don't have a heart that sees Christ. You don't have a heart that sees righteousness. Righteousness. Your heart is not right with God. Now, this man had just been converted. This man had just believed. This man had just been baptized. But his heart wasn't right with God. Philip couldn't see that. And do you know how much comfort there is in this for a little old man like me? Yeah. 
Because compared to Philip, I'm nothing. And we're going to see people come in here and believe, and they're going to be baptized, and then they're going to go their way. And you're going to look at me and think, well, I just hope that you'll think he wasn't given the gift of the discernment of spirits. That's what I hope you'll think. I will look for fruits, meat for repentance, but I can't tell. And I've done it enough times in my life that it makes me irritated. But that's in the Lord's hands. I'll be as faithful as I can, but I don't know that, and I don't blame Philip one bit, and it's comforting for me to know that Philip is now standing aside, knowing that he's just baptized this man who's trying to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost, and Peter's preaching right through him, and seeing right through him. Peter goes on to say, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And someone might look at that and say, Well, Peter wouldn't have told him to repent unless he was a child of God. I want to tell you something. Every man, woman, and child on this planet is duty-bound to repent to the God of heaven. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It doesn't matter whether he gives you the ability to repent or not. It's your fault you don't have it. It's your rebellion that you won't repent. It's Adam's fault. That doesn't prove anything. It's a command to all men. When we get to Acts 17, we're going to see it. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's a gift of God for any of us to repent, but it's still a commandment. And so here's the commandment from Peter, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And for I perceive, in my discernment of your spirit, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now that's as sinful as you can get. You're bound in iniquity and in the gall of it, the bitterness of it. You're full of it. You're a mass of it. And shame on you for ever thinking that you could buy the gift of the Holy Ghost with money. You don't have any part in this matter. Your heart is not right with God. Now was he right? Was that kind of treatment of a man correct? Let's see his response. Did he fall down and repent? Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. That isn't repentance. He's just afraid of all the threats that Peter just put out against him. Think of some other men in the New Testament that were the same way. How about Herod? Did Herod fear John the Baptist? Yes, he did. He feared John the Baptist. But did he still like to hear him? Yes, he did. But what did he do to John the Baptist? He cut his head off. What about Felix? Did Felix ever hear a sermon by the Apostle Paul on righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come? What did Felix do? He trembled. What did he ever do after that? Nothing. He left Paul bound. Brethren, I don't go through the Bible trying to find everybody a child of God and they're all going to heaven, okay? Let me say it plainly so that we can move on. I'm never going to do that. God help us. If you don't bring forth works and fruits, like James teaches us, if you don't make your calling and election sure by being a fruitful Christian, there is no evidence that you're a child of God. You can do all sorts of outward reformations. Listen, there's Dale Carnegie courses that can reform guys' lives. The Mormon church does quite a good job with a lot of people's lives and their family lives. But that isn't true conversion repentance. 
and regeneration? Peter leaves this man here. He does not repent. He does not beg for mercy. He does not confess his sin. And I want you to notice there is no reference of Peter praying for him. It's cut off right there. Peter said what he had to say and left him. We do not know anything more about Simon the sorcerer from the word of God. But from church history, which is our brethren, they have left us a record all the way from the first century that he was a wicked, lascivious, blasphemous, profane, unbelievably evil man who persecuted the apostles and the churches of Jesus Christ. That's all I'll say on it, because it's not in the word of God. But our brethren left a record for us. And Luke wrote this to Theophilus, so that Theophilus, knowing about this man and his influence against Christianity, would know that there was once a time where he had a chance before Philip and before Peter and John and blew it. Verse 25, And they, Peter and John, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Jesus had said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And they did that. They testified and preached the word of the Lord, went back to Jerusalem, and the cities of Samaria had been covered. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Verse 26. Peter and John have gone back to Jerusalem. We've got this deacon evangelist out in the city of Samaria. The whole city's been converted and baptized. Peter and John have laid hands on them. They've received the Holy Ghost. Simon the sorcerer has been shut up. Now the angel has more work for Philip. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. This is going south in latitude. Brother, now what I want you to notice here is Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He went north, even though he went down. He went north and he took the city of Samaria for the Lord Jesus Christ and the gates of hell could not prevail against him. Though there was a man there motivated and powered by Satan himself that controlled that whole city. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then the angel says, head the other direction. Let's try a desert way down there near Gaza. And so Philip takes off all under the orchestration of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I will build my church. These are true stories, brethren. This is not someone's interpretation, reinterpretation, and revision reinterpretation of history. This is the word of God of what happened in the early days of, of churches just like ours. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, a great man, a eunuch, a man who had been altered physically in his anatomy so that he wasn't no longer a full and complete man. In order to be a safe man around a queen named Candace in Ethiopia, most kings and queens did that to take away 
the ambition of a man so that they would be more faithful. But this was a great man, a mighty man with great authority under this Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was responsible for all her treasury. Now we notice something about him already. He was in Jerusalem for a purpose, and it wasn't to transact business. Why was he in Jerusalem? To worship. What was he there to worship? The religion of the Jews, God, through the religion of the Jews. Oh, brethren, did we read this this morning in Psalm 68? <coughs> Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Did we read that this morning? That he was the true God, and he got some of the scriptures while he was there, and he's writing... Can you, this was not your Lincoln Continental town car type ride. He's riding back in a chariot, reading the word of God, and it's Isaiah, the prophet, which is Isaiah. And he, this is the Lord Jesus Christ at work. Right. He, he's known that Ethiopian unit from before. before when? Before the foundation of the world. Right. He's known that Ethiopian eunuch. And he's brought him along in his life. He's promoted him in his job. He's protected him. And he's cared for him even the day after his surgery when he woke up and realized what had happened to him. He still had a God in heaven that cared about him, brethren. Right. And he had taken care of Philip because he had known Philip from before the foundation of the world. And brethren, if we look around this assembly and we ask ourselves, how in the world did we get here? How in the world do I see and hear and believe? It is the same way Amen. God has known us and He has loved us and He has arranged circumstances in our lives to bring us to Him. Right. That is the ultimate love story in the history of the universe. Amen. Amen. That man is riding along on that chariot. He knows he's a Gentile. He knows he's black. He knows he's a eunuch. He knows he can't stay in Jerusalem where the true God is worshipped. He has to go back home. But he got himself some scriptures, and he's reading. And brethren, he didn't just open it and land on a passage that day. The Lord of glory led him to Isaiah chapter 53. Amen. And at the same time, an angel of the Lord was saying to Philip, get down there into the desert. And Philip is saying, what in the world am I going to find down there? Naturally, he would. Right. But he's down there, and the two men meet. There is no circumstance in your life that isn't under the control of an almighty, loving Heavenly Father. Amen. Not one. Not your birthplace. Not the events of your childhood. Not the things that you've heard. It's all by the grace of God and for a providential use of Him to make you a better person and for Him to show you that He loves you. The providence of God, that's another subject where I'm going to go off and preach on the providence of God. Brethren... I love this eunuch. Am I prejudiced? You bet I am. I love men that love the Word of God. Amen. I hope that answers your question. Amen. Would I like to meet this eunuch? I'd love to sit in his chariot. I'd preach Jesus to him too. I'd shut the door and say, Get going, horses. we got a lot to talk about. So did Philip. Can you imagine that situation? Well, there's Philip and he runs into this man. And he's already reading the Word of God in Isaiah 53. What passage from the Old Testament would you want to take a man to? The Lord already took him there. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Remember, Philip is full of the Holy Ghost. 
Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So Philip's running along beside this chariot that's bouncing along back on its way to Ethiopia. And he, he hears this man reading. And he's reading out loud. He's reading Isaiah. And Philip hollers to him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? You don't know what those words are like to a pastor. Man, that is, that's honey to flies. And I do no disrespect to the, man of, the men of God. But I mean, to have a person say, how can I accept some man should guide me? That's an invitation. Could you, do you know Philip's heart's burning within him right now? The Spirit of God has led him all the way down there. He hears this man reading Isaiah 53. He says, do you know what you're reading? The man says, how can I unless somebody shows me? Perfect. Is this, a, is this the ultimate setup? Right. But when the Lord's behind the setup, do you like being set up? Amen. Oh, Lord, just push me off the cliff. Because if the Lord sets you up, it's for His glory and it's for your profit. Don't fight it, brethren. Don't fight your circumstances in life. Thank God for them. He's got a purpose in it. And he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Sweet. I, I'm sorry if this is tedious to all of you. I can just look at these words and salivate. You say, that's gross. Thy word is sweeter to me than honey and the honeycomb. Amen. This is the Lord Jesus Christ taking care of a black Gentile eunuch, and I love the way he did it. The place of the scripture which he read was this. <laughs> he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Those were the words he was reading. Does the Lord Jesus Christ take care of details? Amen. Wow. I mean, details. That's what he was reading. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Two hearts being moved by God to accomplish his great purpose that I will build my church. If you would have asked a Jew if there could ever be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Ethiopia, they might have said to you, you're nuts. But I say to you from Psalm 68, Ethiopia shall soon lift up their hands to God. And I hope that you have that kind of hope and confidence in the Most High. Amen. Could there be a church in Ethiopia? There was a church in Ethiopia about one hour after Acts chapter 8. This man was a man of great authority. And he went back to Ethiopia rejoicing. And when men are rejoicing, others want to know a reason of the hope that is within them. Right. Brethren, and you can go on and read about the Ethiopia, Ethiopia church in history that comes after the word of God was finalized. The Lord doesn't want to tell us right here anything about it. But all we're told is that in prophecy it would happen, and here we have the fulfillment of Psalm 68. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? He's reading precious words about Jesus Christ from Isaiah 53. Amen. That Jesus Christ was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was like a lamb 
did not make any noise, no threatenings. Before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. No one stood up for him. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And that eunuch wants to know who is being discussed here. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He didn't need to select a text. He didn't need to worry about his outline. The Lord had taken care of all that for him. He's reading in Isaiah 53 and wants to know of whom is the prophet speaking. And Philip began to preach to him Jesus. And as they went on their way, this was a prepared man. When the Lord prepares a man, conversion is easy. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip has explained to him what's been going on in Jerusalem. He's explained to him about Jesus, that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and anyone that wants to follow Jesus Christ is to be baptized. And I'm sure that that eunuch, when he was in Jerusalem, had seen some great things happening there with all the baptisms that were taking place in that city. And so the eunuch sees some water, and he says, Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Sounds like Mike Jones a few weeks ago. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Brethren, please don't forget that Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 is missing from every translation of the Bible except the one you have in your hands. There is a condition before a person is baptized, and that is that they must be a believer. We believe in believer's baptism. That verse is missing from all translations except the one you have in your hand. And he answered and said, What should a man believe? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He didn't invite Jesus into his heart. He believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And in that statement is everything. He is the promised Son of God of Isaiah 53 that did have all of our iniquities laid upon him. Philip had said, if you believe, you may. He said, well, I believe with all my heart. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water. Brethren, that tells you something right there, doesn't it? Philip didn't scoop a little bit up with a cup and pour it over his head. It says they both went down into the water because they Philip immersed this eunuch. Both Philip and the eunuch, notice how plain the Holy Spirit is for you doubting Thomases who are thinking of coming, becoming Presbyterians. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them down in the water. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. As soon as this conversion took place, this man professed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was indeed the Son of God. And Philip buried him and raised him from the water. And as they came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit just took Philip right away. Now that is an evangelist. That's an evangelist. That's why I want to see some evangelists that can act like Philip did. Because he immediately appears in a city called Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, where we found him in Acts chapter 21. And what did the eunuch do? After hearing about Jesus Christ, 
and being baptized, what should we all do? Rejoice. Go on our way Rejoice. rejoicing. Amen. And he went on his way back to Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, rejoicing that he had got more than he bargained for. When he went to Jerusalem to worship God, he had met his son, Jesus Christ, had believed, was baptized, and was a Christian. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Philip took the city of Samaria by the grace of Christ for God, and Philip took Ethiopia through the eunuch by the grace of Christ for God. And the gates of hell did not prevail in the darkness of Ethiopia, nor in the satanic delusion of the city of Samaria. Jesus Christ won them both. Praise his holy name. He's won us too, brethren. And I hope you love him tonight. As soon as that eunuch was able to have an assembly down there, and the apostles went to Ethiopia, and they had a church there, or whether it was Philip in Caesarea, there was an ordinance that the Lord had ordained in which they would remember Jesus Christ until he came. And that's what we get to participate in now. We're going to sing a few songs before we do so. My father's going to lead it tonight. And I hope that you rejoice in knowing that whether it be Ethiopia or Caesarea or Jerusalem, the Lord or Pavlodar, Kazakhstan, or Greenville, South Carolina, USA, the Lord has redeemed his people, chosen them, loved them, called them out of this world into simple little assemblies like ours where we can hear what great things he's done for the souls of others. And we can know in our hearts and thank him for the great things he's done for us. And celebrate what he did for us on the cross. When in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away and his life was taken away. I hope that we love him tonight.